Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Yeah, so uh, we do have a new Supreme Court Justice officially sworn in and everything. (laughs) Uh, But the way the vote turned out, uh, he got the lowest number of votes that he could possibly get and and still be approved. Uh, It was 50 to 48. There was the potential for there were actually 52 votes that could have been cast in his favor because uh, the Republican senator from Montana was at his daughter's wedding on Saturday in Montana. <laughs> and they had a, a jet ready if, if his vote was needed. Uh, he was going to fly out to Washington and cast the vote. And... Vice President Pence was there to vote if he was needed. <laughs> uh, but I, I think the vote itself was was a prophetic sign that the Lord was having mercy, and if we really want to see change come forth, that He needs more people praying. <laughs> uh, for that to happen. So we certainly can't let up now. (laughs) Certainly not for the next four weeks. But we we do have to thank the Lord for uh, answering our prayers. The court is solidly conservative now for the first time in uh, many of our lifetimes. Uh, Yeah, first time in about 50 years. Well, there is is a prophetic word out there uh, from Mark Taylor. prophetic guy who uh, saw Trump being elected the next president before he had even entered the race. He he believes that Trump will be able to appoint three more. That three are going to be caught up in the scandal and have to resign. Yeah. Well, he's, he's dead. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, how often does someone of that stature uh, die mysteriously and somehow the body is cremated before an autopsy is performed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was... It was 
very suspicious circumstances. Ah. Well, I, I felt like worship this morning is uh, what it what it is supposed to be. Magnifying Jesus. The one in whom we have life. The one who is our life. So, does anyone... Uh, have a testimony or anything from the Lord that uh, they'd like to share? Mm -hmm. Herschel went to see the neurologist on Tuesday. And um, we walked, the doctor walks in and he says, I'll tell you right off, I probably won't have your answers. Won't have a definite, it's this or that or whatever. But, Maybe we can clarify some things and get some direction and get you some in the right direction. So he sat and talked to us very frankly about what he thought was going on and how different doctors have different opinions and all of that stuff. It just helped us to understand what we've been going through for this last year or so. And um, he says, I think what's going on is scans don't reveal anything, there's no red flags, there's no tumors, there's nothing to cause anything. Um, this is, I think what's going on is your blood sugar and your diet, your sugar, your blood sugars and your blood pressure are very erratic and they're causing what's called mini strokes in the nerve room, not the vascular room. And um, he says we're going to put you on B2 and CoQ10 and that for whatever reason, those two work really, really well together. And see how you feel and come back and things in, in January. So, Herschel, the biggest thing was Herschel came out and he wasn't frustrated. He was at peace and he's okay with this. We have a direction from a doctor who's willing to talk to us. So, that's a praise for me. And prescribing things that are, are definitely natural and good for us. Right, right. Anyway, um, I've been praying a lot, praying a lot. I've been um, just locked into this thing because I see the, the vile side of society. It's kind of And um, Holy Spirit whispered to me, he said, I told him, I said, I'm getting tired. He's getting tired of this. He said, what are you going to do when the what are you going to do with horse control? And I, that's in uh, Jeremiah, I think, 9 or 13, it's in the first part of Jeremiah. But um, I really had to take that into consideration because I really feel like I'm okay with horse control. I may not be. You know, and I've been praying for a long time. And the 
this last bout is Accessors, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is Jason, Luke's friend. <laughs> um, anyways, I have a praise report. <laughs> um, so on Tuesday, Garrett was pretty sick. Like, he was in our bed and he was watching videos and every time he'd get up he would complain about you know like mommy my legs are tired so kind of that general weakness stuff going on and he just had this nasty cough and congestion and all this nastiness going on fever wouldn't eat didn't want to play so i texted i i texted yeah because he doesn't ever do that stuff um i texted uh jane joy and i texted well i called chris and then i had um our mom's group pray for this little guy because we had heard Allie had told us that um, hand, foot, and mouth was going around mops the week prior. And so um, hand, foot, and mouth, its incubation period is three to six days. So we were on day six. And um, so, of course, so it, after they start getting symptoms, it can last for seven to ten days. And then even after their last symptom, it can still shed for weeks after. So, of course, with the baby on the way, I was very, very concerned, and I didn't want a sick little boy. So, anyways, I asked for all these prayers, and then the next day he woke up, and he watched a few videos that morning, but then he's like, Mommy, I want to play. And he was up, and he was playing, and there was no more fevers, and he still had a little congestion, but I'll take it. I'll take the congestion. We didn't have any other signs or symptoms of, you know, hand, foot, milk, nothing like that, and he's just been continually getting better. So it was very exciting. And I told Chris today, I saw this this little picture on Facebook, and I'm sure some of you saw it. It said, um, what if equals fear, and even if equals faith. And I saw that a day or two after, and I sent it to Allie, and I was like, this was our total conversation the other day. We were living in fear where we should have been. I should have been like, you know what? Even if he has head, foot, and mouth, the Lord's going to protect June from this, and it'll be fine. So, anyways, that was big for me, too, in that aspect. So. Um, I just want to praise God for 31 days of goodness and mercy towards us. And before this, we were thinking about every other alternative, including I hired... A nurse to come in and she worked today so then she had to be gone for a week and during that week he started getting better to the point that we don't need a nurse praise God well I want to do something a little different today something that I think was pretty common in, in the first century church but isn't very common today, probably. Um, and I, I just want to uh, read a significant part of Paul's letter to the Romans. And 
I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to minister encouragement to us, to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus and in the knowledge of our true identity. So I, I want to read this from the Passion Translation because it's it's fresh and probably a lot of us have, have never heard it uh, in this translation. I, I could have started in chapter 3. <laughs> I could start in chapter 1 actually. I don't know, maybe we'll do some of that another time. Uh, but but there's there there isn't another book in the New Testament that is uh, as foundational theologically as as Romans. I mean yeah, Ephesians is, is pretty uh, pretty packed full too, but uh, things are Paul unpacks things so much in, in the book of Romans that if, if we can just get the revelation uh, direct from what he's saying it's, it's all here so what do we do then? do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? what a terrible thought we have died to sin once and for all as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the Anointed One, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father of glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the Anointed One, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. 
and we know that since the Anointed One has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be that the same way with you, let it be the same way with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal, while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Sin is a dethroned monarch, so you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately Answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for His pleasure, ready to be used for His noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. Yeah, yeah. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. What are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content, since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? but choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. And God is pleased with you. For in the past, you were servants of sin. But now, your obedience is heart beat. And your life is being molded by truth. Through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master, sin. You've left its bondage, and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. I've used the familiar terms of servant and master to compensate for your weakness to understand. For just as you surrendered your bodies and souls to impurity and lawlessness, 
which only brought more lawlessness into your lives. So now, surrender yourselves as servants of righteousness, which brings you deeper into true holiness. For when you were bound as servants to sin, you lived your lives free from any obligation to righteousness. So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meager wage, wages is death, but God's lavish gift is eternal life, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. I write to you, dear brothers and sisters, who are familiar with the law. Don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of the marriage. So then, if a wife is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. Isn't that like the most clear you've ever heard that? <laughs> I, I think it is. So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. When we were merely living natural lives, the law, through defining sin, actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. But now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us, and our lives are no longer motivated 
by the absolute, obsolete way of following the written code. So that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's just so many good uh, statements that he makes that are fresh <laughs> and, and full of life. So what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said, Do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. I once lived without a clear understanding of the law, but when I heard God's commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Since by means of the commandment built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. I love that terminology built a base of operation. And that's what happened. I mean, the, the enemy built a base of operation within us through sin for the purpose of putting us to death. So then we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy and its commandments are correct and for, uh, for our good. So did something meant to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. I'm a mystery to myself, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms the excellence of the law. And now I realize that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. For I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but willpower is not enough to accomplish it. Boy, that's a great way to put that, isn't it? 
Our, our willpower is not enough. <laughs> That's why we need something greater than the law. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Boy, that, that, that's it. Let me read that again, that last half a paragraph. The longing to do what is right are within me, but the willpower is not enough to accomplish it. My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I actually do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it's not my true identity doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly deep within my true identity, I love to do what pleases God but I discern another power operating in my humanity, waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the law of sin, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. What an agonizing situation I am in. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now, my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. For the law of the Spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet God sent us his Son in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's Son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the Anointed One living his life in us. 
Let me read that sentence again. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the Anointed One living His life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. That's, that's another one of, of those statements that just has a, a new light, a new meaning. Those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. Yeah. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to His direction because it cannot. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. Now Christ lives his life in you. And even though your body may be dead because of the effects of sin, his life-giving spirit imparts life to you because you are fully accepted by God. Yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's spirit of resurrection lives in you, he will also raise your dying body to life by the same Spirit that breathes life into you. So then, beloved ones, the flesh has no claim on us at all, and we have no further obligation to live in obedience to it. For when you live controlled by the flesh, you are about to die. But if the life of the Spirit puts to death the corrupt ways of the flesh, we then taste his abundant life. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's another one of those fresh <laughs> statements. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender reflection, 
beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to reveal in us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoes yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. <laughs> it's not good. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor and childbirth. And it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs to do the words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings. Yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones. 
in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives, continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives, for we are His lovers who have been called to fulfill His design purpose. For He knew all about us before we were born, and He destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of His Son. This means the Son is the oldest among the vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like Him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, He called us to Himself and transferred His perfect righteousness to everyone He called. And those who He possesses or, or those who possess His perfect righteousness, He co-glorified with His Son. So what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved His love by giving to us His greatest treasure, the gift of His Son. And since God freely offered Him up as the sacrifice for us all, He certainly won't withhold from us anything else He has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be His? God Himself is the judge who has issued His final verdict over them. Not guilty. the final verdict over each one of us. Not guilty. <laughs> For eternity. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the Anointed One. For He gave His life for us. And even more than that, He has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at His right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he has continued he is continually praying for our triumph? <laughs> and that's that's what he's doing. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems. They are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No. For they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, All day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are, continued, we are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet, even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors, and His demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence 
that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Amen. The, the letter written to us by the greatest theologian uh, of the church next to Jesus. I, I realize it's kind of hard for... Uh, one thought to have struck you enough to have stayed with you through the reading of, of that whole passage, <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering if, if anything did. Tiptoes. 